Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to the Brian Dainsburg Podcast, Christian Living in a Complicated World. I'm your host, Brian Dainsburg, lead pastor of Alliance Bible Church, located in beautiful southeast Wisconsin. Get back to work, people! Uh, Home Depot co-founder Bernie Marcus is blaming socialism for Americans' declining work ethic. I've done a podcast on socialism. You can check that out. encourage you to do so. He was interviewed by the Financial Times, and in it, this 93-year-old who co-founded Home Depot in 1978 said, Nobody works. The prevailing attitude is, just give it to me. Send me money. I don't want to work. I'm too lazy. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. And then there was this article in the Daily Mail, the UK Daily Mail. A homeless woman in Portland, Portland, Oregon, bragged about the perks of living on the streets, including free meals and the ability to be high all day. The woman, known only as Wendy, said open-air drug policies are bringing more tents onto the streets. Portland currently has more than 700 homeless encampments across the city within less than 150 square miles. And the ordeal has also led to the skyrocketing use of cocaine, heroin, LSD, and meth, which officials decriminalized in 2020. She said this, it's a piece of cake, really. That's why you probably have so many out here, really, because they feed you three meals a day and you don't have to do expletive, but stay in your tent and party. Oh, get back to work, people. I am grieved by the seeming declining work ethic in our country and... I wonder if it's impacting attitudes within the church, too. Now, I talked about um, four ways God wants you to see your work, kind of a theology of work. I'm going to build on that today. Now, granted, Wendy, Wendy's story and even Bernie Marcus's comments are provocative examples, but, but laziness has always been a temptation, and the Bible has strong warnings to those who refuse to work and work hard and do their best. Sin does that to us. It causes drift towards laziness. Laziness, And then laziness produces cultural and societal rot, which is what we're seeing on the uptick uh, around us today. We had the COVID stuff and the mass indiscriminate distribution of trillions of dollars And I think that has encouraged worklessness. I think technological advancement, while it can be good, unintended consequences, it trains inanimate objects to do the work once done by human beings. What do they do then? So yes, I am grieved by the declining work ethic in our country and, um, and the degradating effects that that has, that worklessness has on our culture. And that should not be the case for any of us, but especially for those who take the Bible seriously. Let me offer four reflections on this. Number one, work contributes to your happiness. 
Here's what I mean by that. God is the happiest being in, in existence. Trust me, the greatest happiness you have ever experienced doesn't even come close to the happiness that God possesses. Why? Because he's perfect. God has no flaws, no deficiencies, no foibles, no aberrations. This yields wholeness and yes, happiness. Human beings are the closest thing to God. We are not God, but we are in his creation, the closest thing to God, because we're the only life form created in his image and likeness, which means we should have some semblance of his flawlessness and perfection. Yes, I understand the doctrine of sin. I get it. We're marred. But the image of God, the likeness of God in us has not been destroyed. It's marred, not destroyed. One of the things God does is work. Work for God is not an unpleasant necessity, but an intrinsic joy, an outworking of his essence and being, an expression of his perfection. So when we work, we follow in God's footsteps and contribute to our own flourishing, our own joy, our own happiness. Not to work is dehumanizing. Not to work is to degrade your humanity. Refusal to work increases the distance between God and you and therefore increases the distance between you and happiness. Tom Nelson in his book, and I quoted this last time, Work Matters, writes this. From the very beginning of scripture, we see the one true God is not a couch potato God, nor did he create a couch potato world. For anyone to refuse to work is a fundamental violation of God's creation designed for humankind. Oh, so listen, laziness causes self-inflicted wounds. Work is humanizing. It contributes to your flourishing. That's first. Second, work prevalence is God's prescription. In other words, God designed work to be prevalent. Now, I'm not sure the conventional American practice of a five-day work week followed by a two-day weekend is, is good for us. I'm not even sure where that came from. It didn't come from the Bible. God put in place for his people a six-day work week followed by one day of rest. Does God ever prescribe for us something that's bad for us? No. Now, I'm aware so many of you have no control over your work pattern. I get it. I'm not suggesting you quit or protest in order to bring about a six-day work week. I am just drawing attention to the fact that God designed us to spend 85% of our days working. So for the sake of our collective flourishing, work is meant to be prevalent in your life. And you've got to trust that God knew what he was doing when he put us to work and told us it would occupy a significant space in our weekly calendar. Work prevalence is God's prescription, good prescription. Third, and I want to spend a little more time on this, sluggardness is a real problem and should be confronted. Sluggardness is a real problem and should be confronted. What is a sluggard? This past summer, I preached on some select passages from Proverbs. Proverbs is a book about wisdom. There are several attributes that make a person wise, according to Proverbs. It's interesting, the topic of sluggardness is talked about extensively in a book about wisdom. The unavoidable conclusion of the matter is, a sluggard is a fool. But what is sluggardness? Very quickly, <laughs> somewhat quickly, I'm going to mention nine characteristics of a sluggard. 
Nine characteristics of a sluggard. Number one, from the book of Proverbs, number one is procrastination. Proverbs 6 talks about this, procrastination. It says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? In other words, you keep putting this off. And the writer uses the ant as an example of diligence. The ant has no need for a supervisor, a parent, or peer to tell him to get moving, to get working. One of the differences between wisdom and foolishness is initiative. Wise people are self-starters. Wise people are self-starters. They don't put things off. They get going without being prompted to do so. Now, in 21st century America, we often chalk something up to personality traits. The scriptures don't. They make them matters of wisdom or foolishness or even matters of morality. But, but we, we smirk at our lack of initiative. We chalk it up to a personality quirk and never think for a moment it needs refinement. That it's a matter of wisdom or foolishness, but it is. The sluggard, the fool, is a procrastinator. Second, a sluggard is characterized by a lack of planning. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So goes the proverb. So the wise give forethought to when tasks need to be started and completed. The wise person may ask when something needs to be completed by, but they don't wait until the night before to get started. That's what the sluggard does. Proverbs 20 verse 4 says the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So even though the deadline may be months out, they don't leave it until the last minute. They get started long before. So in other words, wise people plan. Third, the sluggard is characterized by a world of wishing. So the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. That's Proverbs 13, 4. So the sluggard will say things like this. I wish I was more disciplined with my time, (laughs) but they actually never get around to working at it. The sluggard will say something like, well, I should pray and read my Bible daily, but it never happens. The sluggard says I should get started on that project for work, but they never do. They live in a world of wishing, but nothing ever happens. They never get around to it. The sluggard may be characterized by a genuine desire for diligence, but it goes no further than a desire. Charles Bridges put it well. He said, the sluggard desires the gain of diligence without the diligence that gains. So the sluggard has the desire for the things that come by diligence, but they lack the diligence required to obtain those things. They live in a world of wishing. Oh, I wish I was more disciplined with my time. I wish I was better at planning. Oh, I wish. But the sluggard never gets around to it. They remain in a world of wishing. Fourth, the sluggard is characterized by excuse making. Proverbs 22, 13 says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Very same verse, same, same words are used in Proverbs 24, 13. So here, here's, this is what it is. There are different words in the Hebrew language for lion. The one that's used in this proverb is not one that existed in Jerusalem, in Israel, much less in the city walls. So here's what's happening. Uh, it's an excuse. The sluggard is skilled at finding excuses for not working, initiating, facing a challenge, etc. So the quandary of this excuse making is that the excuse to the sluggard looks reasonable. It looks airtight. They actually see lions in the streets, but to everyone else, the excuses are preposterous. Now there's another aspect to this excuse making to notice. Why does the sluggard choose to see a lion in the streets? Well, it betrays a posture of fear. I haven't been able to chase this one down all the way, but I think there's a correlation between fear and sluggardness. 
The sluggard suffers from irrational fear, which prevents him from acting by offering preposterous excuses. Fifth, the sluggard is characterized by covetousness. The desire of the sluggard kills him. Proverbs 21. For his hands refuse to labor all day long. He craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So literally it reads all day long. He covets greedily. Just because sluggards struggle with inaction doesn't mean they lack desire for the things that action can acquire. The wisdom writer is clear. The sluggard has intense cravings for money and possessions, but as we have seen, they refuse to plan and act in such a way that money and possessions could be obtained. So when you put these things together, the sluggard often waits for handouts. And because the waiting is prompted by covetousness, what happens when the handout doesn't come? Anger, despondency, shock. So again, Proverbs pushes us to see the sluggard not as a personality trait, but as a moral issue. It's not, it's not a temperament. It's a character flaw. Six, the sluggard is characterized by proving to be an irritant to others. <laughs> Proverbs 10, 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. So is the sluggard to those who send him. Double comparison, vinegar to teeth, smoke to eyes. Compares two things vexing and hurtful to the body with that which is frustrating and damaging to social relationships. So the sluggard disappoints, irritates, exasperates. David Hubbard contextualized this well. Our dependence on others in societies where division of labor is a way of life proves most frustrating when those we count on for an important assignment, plumbers, electricians, administrative assistants, stockbrokers, pastors, fail to do their work on schedule. In other words, what's happening here is sluggards are unreliable. They don't earn the trust of those around them to complete their assignments on time and in a manner so desired. And as a result, they are smoke to the eyes and irritant. Seventh, the sluggard is characterized by neglecting things. Proverbs 24, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. It certainly paints the picture, doesn't it? Sluggards have aspects to their lives that are neglected. It may be the home, like described here. The structure of the grounds are in disarray. It may be their jobs which are neglected. It may be their family lives that are neglected. It may be their walk with Christ that's neglected. Physical health is another one. There's a true story about a man named Bob who worked in a tile warehouse warehouse with his girlfriend. Bob missed work once a week, was chronically late, and took many breaks each day, lasting over a half hour each. His girlfriend missed work every third day, never gave advance notice, and when they were fired after many warnings, Bob was furious. The observer of the story concludes convincingly that too many today are immune to hard work and that what used to be thought of as good, reasonable jobs are now seen as demanding, unreasonable standards. And the result is social decay, just as Proverbs warned. Eighth, the sluggard is characterized by unfinished projects. Proverbs 26, 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring him back to his mouth. So the sluggard, when he is successful at starting something, can remain a sluggard if the project is left unfinished. The imagery the wisdom writer uses here is ridiculous on purpose. The idea of someone reaching into a bread bowl to retrieve bread to eat during dinner but fail to bring it back to his mouth is as ludicrous as the sluggard's propensity for unfinished projects. They don't stay at jobs long. They always blame the job rather than their own lack of stick 
Once he gets to work and bunts up against some difficulty or resistance, all motivation vanishes. And the sluggard retreats then back into ease. This is someone who has a growing stack of half-read books on his desk. A host of home projects still awaiting completion. Multiple promises to friends and family left unfulfilled. A collection of almost written articles in the queue and a gym membership that has been used since January of 2018. Sluggards struggle to finish things. Last, the sluggard is characterized by unteachability. Proverbs 26, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So he's not only lazy, but he's unteachable because he deems himself wise. The number seven is likely not literal here, but symbolic for completeness. So there's this vast cadre of discerning, sensible sages who can explain the sluggard's problems to him, but make no dent in his faulty thinking. The sluggard is often unteachable, unmoving. So after listing and listening to these nine characteristics of a sluggard, is sluggardness a problem? Embedded in these words from Proverbs are warnings to us that sluggardness produces things like deterioration, degradation, poverty, all things that I think we're starting to see even more of today. One last reflection. Work is the means of obtaining God's gifts. Work is the means of obtaining God's gifts. Let's do a thought experiment. Could God have caused the world to work in such a way that food appears in your refrigerator and cupboards cupboards each morning without you having to do anything? Answer, yes. Why doesn't it work that way? Why is it the world works in such a way that you have to grow your own food or work a job to pay for food others have grown? Martin Luther wrote wonderfully on the topic of work. He said, God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he does not want to do so. What else is all our work to God, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, or in government, but just such a child's performance by which he wants to give his gifts in the fields at home and everywhere else. These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. We have the saying, God gives every good thing, but not just by waving a hand. God gives all good gifts, but you must lend a hand and take the bull by the horns. I love it. What's Luther saying? Work is the means of obtaining the gifts of God. Work is the means of obtaining the gifts of God. When the farm girl goes out to milk the cow, she is obtaining for herself and her family God's good gift of milk and the nourishment it brings. But that good gift of milk and the nourishment it brings is hidden behind a mask. Work is the means of pulling back the mask to reveal the gift of God. Let me apply this to church ministry because it's what I know best. Children's ministries staff need to work hard recruiting, training, scheduling, and encouraging volunteers. Why? Well, when they do this properly, they are pulling back a mask behind which lies the gift of spiritual nourishment for the children of our church, the gift of relational connection, the gift of support and camaraderie, the gift of a spiritually meaningful experience at church. When they don't do this proper, properly, the gifts remain hidden behind a mask and are not revealed for the good of our kids. Worship ministry staff need to work hard recruiting, training, scheduling, encouraging musicians, and planning compelling services. Why? Well, when they do this properly, they're pulling back a mask behind which lies the gift of 
transcendent worship, meaningful worship that melts the hearts of God's people and causes them to adore him and see him in new and soul-thrilling ways. When they don't do this properly, just like when no one milks the cow, milk doesn't just magically appear in the refrigerator. When they don't do this properly, the gifts remain hidden behind the mask, untapped. For me personally, I spend 16 to 20 hours a week preparing to preach, studying the text, writing a script, finding illustrations, internalizing the message, praying over the whole thing. It's a lot of work. It's not easy work. God could have made the world in such a way that the manuscripts for these sermons simply appear on my desk each week. He could have done that. But work is the means God uses to unmask the gift of, in this case, personal spiritual growth for me the feeding, the edification of the body. If I don't do this properly, the gift God so wants to unleash on his people remains buried and hidden. There are many, many, many good gifts God wants to unleash into our lives, but he won't just make them magically appear. He created the world in such a way that these good gifts will be obtained only through diligent work. How many gifts have we missed out on because we wouldn't do the work? Second Thessalonians 3, and I'll end with this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Get back to work and do your work well. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you next time.